Beyond Synth, Season 7, Sequence Commencing in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Hey there, welcome to the show. This is Beyond Synth, episode 205, and today is a chiptune show. Uh, I actually intended to do a lot more of these, but I am not a very organized guy. Uh, some would say disorganized, and uh, yeah, that's that's that. But look, the point is... Uh, we're going to have fun today. I had a conversation with Dub Mood, and if you know chiptunes, uh, you will know that name. And we had a really good talk. We actually talked for a really long time. So we uh, we played lots of tracks of his, and uh, you should uh, enjoy the show. So how about we get things started and uh, play some music? So here is a track from Shiroban from the album Rebirth, and, uh, and this one's called Fracture.
And that was Fracture by Shiroban uh, from the album Rebirth. And that was brought to you by my awesome patrons who support this show. There is Chris Dance, the King of the Pattersons. There's Six Mill. Now, I don't know what you should be because now you're in between Mike Shima and Chris Dance. So if Chris Dance is the king with 88 and Six Mill's there with 84, 84, and then Mike Shima's there with 82, so I don't know uh, how I'm supposed to organize you guys. Let me know. Let me know what you want to be, Six Mill. Uh, And then, of course, there's Mike Shima. You guys are amazing. And uh, we'll top it off with the Jacob Wick with the 4488. Uh, You guys are very, very generous people. Thank you for supporting the show at patreon.com slash beyondsynth. So today we are doing a chiptune show. It's always fun to go through and listen to chiptunes. I've got a few picked today. Some of them are, they all kind of sound different. So uh, I hope you dig them. I've always had a fondness for chiptunes. I know there's, uh, like a lot of artists in the synthwave scene, a lot of them got started when they were in bands or they were like in metal bands and stuff like this. And some of them started in the chiptune scene, in the demo scene, a lot more than you think. Um, like Mitch Murder started in the demo scene, for example. And then there's other artists who, like on my previous chiptune shows where I had Sabutom on and Salsa who started Chiptune and then kind of his last album was more Synthwave. And I always like that. I like that blend of sound. Obviously, Arcade High has always blended those sort of Chiptune sounds, you know, within the sort of Synthwave aesthetic. And so I always think that stuff is super cool. And yeah, and I've been recording lots of interviews. So last week I recorded like eight It was a busy, busy week, and uh, I'm getting some videos done, so that's good, working my way through the pile of all the Beyond Synth stuff that is pending, because there's there's so much stuff, and uh, it stresses me out a bit, so I'm trying to clear out the pile, because I've got about 16 videos that need to be edited, and I'm doing it all myself, and so I just have to find the time, and uh, now I've got all these... uh, interviews to edit as well but they should be good we had a lot of fun uh so look let's listen to more music this is a track from trevor lentz uh he sent me this album a long time ago so i'm hoping it's released because it was a pre-release at the time uh and it is good uh lots of great songs on here Uh, we're gonna listen to one called bulletproof power up and uh, it is brought to you by my awesome patreon supporters there's city hunter with the 42 and then in the 2666 club there's hugh hefner and lucas ceballos you guys are great and now uh let's listen to this track this is trevor lentz with bulletproof power up
And that was Bulletproof Power Up by Trevor Lentz. L-E-N-T-Z. Remember, you can check out all the artists I feature on the show by clicking the More Info button. So if you are on SoundCloud, there is a button underneath the episode where you get more information. When this show eventually posts on YouTube, you can click on the More Info button, and I post all the links to all the artists. Also, whenever I post the show on Twitter and Facebook, I also include the artists' links in there so you can find them and check out their tunes. And I hope you do so and that was brought to you by my awesome uh, patrons in the $25 club there's Clint Dowling Restless Nights and Honeybeard and speaking of YouTube uh, uploading shows to YouTube is really annoying because <laughs> like so w- when I upload to SoundCloud there isn't too much of a problem um, and then usually the YouTube is I think about like four or five months behind the SoundCloud but YouTube always runs into all these copyright issues because the um you know, the monetization settings or whatever are very sensitive on there. Now, I don't monetize any of my videos, but occasionally I will post an episode. It just happened again to to one where it just gets blocked because of one of the songs that I play. Now, most of the time I'm playing indie electronic artists, so it usually doesn't block the video. Like, they might get money, like they're whoever they have as their publishing company or whatever, uh, might monetize the video and take the money. I don't take any. The only way the show gets money is through the Patreon, and we do have merch on the store, but I never see the notifications. Um, That's like my web guy, so I guess at the end of the year I'll have to check to see if we sold any shirts. I think we did actually sell some stuff. I I never check. My web guy also deserves some money for uh, doing all that stuff with the website, right? So I'm not a very good businessman. I think I've established that before. Um, But yeah, anyway, so whenever there's these problems, last time I tried to dispute it and it just didn't work. So I had to put like a blank space. We literally go like, oh, now here's this song. And then it just goes silent for three minutes. And I might have to do that again, which is uh, annoying. But whatever, man. I do have a fear that Beyond Synth will have problems in the future, and hopefully we don't. Uh, That's why I want to lean heavier into the actual YouTube content, because it's more original content that I'm producing. The difference being that Beyond Synth, we play a lot of music, and obviously if the videos ever get monetized or whatever, then the artists deserve the money from that. But then it can cause problems in the future, like what if some weird company buys up the rights to, you know, DistroKid or something and all of a sudden just blocks any video that features music, then I might run into one day where I just log into YouTube and it's just like, oh, like 80 of your videos have been blocked, you know? And then that'll be so much work to, like, get him unblocked that it'll be really annoying. So hopefully that doesn't happen, but we will we will see. I mean, I don't, I don't mind if they monetize the videos and they give the artists the money. I mean, that's perfectly fine, obviously. Like, they made the music. They deserve the, the cash. But I don't know, man. You let me know. I don't know what I want you to let me know. Let, let's listen to more music. All right, now this is a... <laughs> okay, this counts as chiptunes, right? But uh, this is a little different uh, because one of my uh, Beyond Synth uh, patrons is a man by the name of Andrew Benson. And Andrew Benson sent me this a while ago. And it turns out that Andrew Benson did the music for a game called Chex Quest. And if you don't know what Chex Quest is, I'm going to tell you. But we're going to listen to it first. It was a video game that was made in conjunction with Czech's Serial, and it was a, like a non-violent remake of Doom, but like, I think you played as like an actual like morsel of Czech's, like Czech's Serial, and you have a gun that shoots mucus or something? I don't know. Anyway, um, 
But look, we're going to listen to this track. Now, technically, I don't know, does it count as chiptune if it was actual video game music? You be the judge. But this is uh, this is Andrew Benson with E1M5 Caverns <laughs> from Chex Quest. And that was uh, music from the soundtrack of Check's Quest by Andrew Benson. Andrew Benson has been a supporter of the show for a while, so I thought it would be uh, it would only be right to play some music from Check's Quest. So according to Wikipedia, Check's Quest is a non-violent first-person shooter video game created in 1996 by Digital Cafe as a Check's serial promotion aimed at children ages 6 to 9 and up. It is a total conversion of the more violent video game Doom, specifically the Ultimate Doom version of the game. Check's Quest won both the Golden EFFIE Award for Advertising Effectiveness in 1996. So that's a good question, Andrew Benson. Did you see any of that sweet EFFIE cash? Anyway, it's just funny because I was going to play this song anyways, and then I think like last week, uh, Angry Video Game Nerd did a video about Chex Quest. This all just very coincidental. I'm like, oh, and I sent the link to, to Andrew, so... It's pretty funny, man, because it's just a Doom clone that I guess they packed in with the cereal. So I don't know if it got people to eat more Czech cereal, but there's a documentary on it now. You can see actually Andrew's in it. He's, he's talking about the music and they're, they're talking about the game. So I think that's pretty funny. I never actually played it myself, but uh, speaking of old games, did I mention this on the show already? They put Turok 2 on the Switch. Now, like, Turok 2 has been out for a while um, on computer, the remaster. And, man, this is how to do a remaster. This company uh, has, has done a great job. They did it with Turok. I apologize if you hear fan in the background. My son is playing the PlayStation 4, and I don't know what happened, but, like, a few months ago, like, he, whenever he plays Fortnite, the PlayStation sounds like a fucking jet. 
does Fortnite do that to everybody? Because I was talking to my brother-in-law, and he said the same thing. He says whenever his kid's playing Fortnite, the PlayStation, just the fan goes into overdrive. I was watching videos of people who are like saying, oh, you have to open it up and then add some more glue and heat sinks to your something or whatever. I'm like, dude, I am not doing that. If anybody knows me, they know that opening up electronics and uh, trying to fix them myself is a recipe for a broken iMac. And also, I snapped an iPhone in half one time. So, I'm not good at fixing things. So, we're just going to have to make do with this noisy PlayStation until the PlayStation 5 comes out. Or until it dies. Well, how about this? Uh, Well, yeah, we'll talk about Turok, but I want to listen to more music. So, here is a track by Binary Counter. Um, I heard this one on the album Space Tunes Equals Win, although I think he has it on another one of his albums. There are these uh, compilations that come out that I check out on Bandcamp. There's Chiptunes Equals Win. And usually what I'll do is I'll listen to them, hear an artist I like, and then go and, and check out their catalog because I think it's a good resource to find artists, but I'm never super fond of the tracks they choose, but... I do like the artists they play, and so I'll go and find, you know, my personal favorite track. However, this one I thought was cool, um, and this is Binary Counter with the track My Battery is Low and It's Getting Dark, and it is brought to you by my awesome uh, Patreon supporters in the $25 Club. There's Tim Carlton, Johnny Five, Emilio Astavez, and Pattern Shift. Oh, and I finally started listening to you, uh, Pattern Shift's new album. I guess it's a pre-release because it's not out yet, but it's really cool, man. It's a Matt atmospheric stuff, so I'll definitely be playing some of that on an upcoming show, and what was I saying? Oh yeah, let's listen to this track. This is Binary Counter, with My Battery is Low and It's Getting Dark.
And that was My Battery is Low and It's Getting Dark by Binary Counter. That is a cool song. It is brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters. In the $25 Club, there's Kempson, Martin Larby, Gregorio Franco, and Blake Peterson. And yeah, so they put out Turok. So what I love about a good game remaster is when they find ways to improve the overall experience. Like one thing, making graphics better is a big deal, especially with games from the N64 era because they don't look good. So making them HD is one thing, but also about adding functionality that makes the game more playable. So in some cases, I get it, you know, when you use emulators and you play uh, old games, you can sort of cheat, you know, you have save states and uh, you can rewind time and stuff. That's what I do if ever I play a Mega Man game, I'm always rewinding time and making save states and stuff. But sometimes uh, save states can actually fix something that is broken. So Turok 2, a game that I really like, has these maze-like levels. Now, I haven't played the game, honestly, all the way through since it came out. Um, I've played, like, the first level a few times on an emulator, but it never worked properly. So this is actually the first time I've really played through the game in uh, decades. And the thing about Turok 2 was it didn't have save states. It had these save points, and there was only, like, a few in every level, and the levels were like big mazes. And I do remember times where, you know, because I was still in high school, so, like, you know, my dad would be, like, calling me to do chores or have dinner or whatever... And I was just frantically looking for a save point because I just wanted to save my game and I couldn't. It was really frustrating, right? Because there are times where it's just like, just turn it off. I'm like, I can't. Like, I have to save the game. You know, it was really frustrating. And so now they've implemented just a save anywhere feature and it just helps so much. And I think they also added some more blood and stuff too. Uh, but it's very uh, satisfying because the, the weapons pack a punch. And uh, yeah, no, Turok 2 is, is great. I'm meaning to do a Twitch and uh, play the game but uh, I'm so busy editing all the time, man. But it's definitely really good. And and to the Turok 1 one was good as well. But I think in retrospect, I think I like Turok 2 more, but Turok 2 was one of those games that was more ambitious than the hardware could handle. In the same way that, you know, uh, Perfect Dark, uh, the successor to GoldenEye, was the same thing. It was like, They tried to do more than the N64 could handle, and so the game would always run at a choppy frame rate, and, you know, there were lots of problems, and uh, and Turok 2 was like that too, like it was kind of choppy, but it's great to be able to play it uh, fluidly, because it's actually a great game, and the animation's fun, like there's a lot of animations in there for the character deaths and stuff, and lots of uh, unique and cool weapons. Anyways, let's listen to more music. This is a track from Devin Smith from the album Battle Master Infinity. And uh, and this track is called Steel Empire, and it's brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters. There's Ashley Keegan with the 2049, Rachel Buchelman with the 1985, and Morat with the 1984. And uh, this is a cool song by Devin Smith. This is Steel Empire. <laughs>
And that was Steel Empire by Devin Smith from the album Battle Master Infinity. And it is brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters. There's Jimby. And in the $15 Club, there's Hampus ML and Ken Jeru and Chatterack, basically. And then, uh... Hey, what the hell? There's Mads Baron Christensen with the 1313 and Prophet of Jupiter, and we will never forget the immortal Chris Lyalane. And uh, we're back. Today is a chiptune show. We've been listening to chiptunes. In a little bit, we're going to be talking to Dub Mood, and we're going to be listening to more chiptunes because that is what he does. And uh, yeah, so what else has been going on? There have been some trailers I'm really excited about, and I hope that the things don't suck. You know, I know it's bad to get your hopes up. I think I was talking to Marco about this on the last episode of uh, High Five. But, uh, man, I love that Dark Crystal trailer. I've loved them both. I really want Dark Crystal to be good. <laughs> I mean, look, fine. It doesn't have to be, like, the most amazing thing in the world. I just don't want it to be bad. Like, that is the worst. You know, when you get all excited about something, and then the thing is actually bad. So... I really hope that that doesn't happen, um, because it looks so cool, man. The past two trailers have been great. I love it. Puppets. That's the thing I'm the most excited for. And, um, the Boba, or Boba Fett show, <laughs> the, uh, the Star Wars show, The Mandalorian. I'm gonna be honest, I think the trailer looks fucking cool. And that leaked footage I watched, I thought looked good, too. So, I hope that that is good. You know, because I know a lot of times people listen to the show, they'll hear me complain about, you know, Star Wars, The Last Jedi, and stuff like this. Um, But I'm not one of those fans that, like, I don't want to write Star Wars off. All right? The reason why I always complain about Last Jedi is because it's part of the overall series now. So it's frustrating because it's like this weird bump in the road. Had they just had that movie take place in a different part of space with different characters, um, it would have been fine. But the fact that it's part of the main series is the problem because I find deconstructing narratives to be kind of boring now because I feel like it's happening all the time. And it's weird because sometimes people embrace it and sometimes they don't. When they deconstructed Superman, everyone hated it. And it, and it was okay to hate it. Like, all these articles about how, like, this isn't Superman. Superman isn't fucking dour and depressing. Superman is a sign of hope and blah, blah, blah. But they deconstructed Superman and said, what would happen if Superman came to Earth and he was treated like an alien and it was a threat and stuff and, and people didn't like it. But then when they turn Luke into an asshole, people are like, oh, this is brilliant. Or like reviewers were. And I was like, no. No, this is the same thing. You're you're doing the same thing. You're deconstructing. I, I, don't, I don't know what that movie adds to the franchise. Put it that way. Even if you like it, ask yourself, what does Last Jedi add to the series? Because all, all it really does is seek to sort of, well, deconstruct what has come before. I think that deconstruction in movies... I don't think you can do it with the franchise itself. You have to do things like The Watchmen, right? Where it deconstructs superhero genre, but it's, you know, it's not Batman. It's not, you know what I mean? They just have their their parallels. And I just started watching that Amazon series, The Boys, which is actually better than I thought it was going to be, to be honest with you. When I saw the trailer, it looked like it was going to be a really crass, you know, just because you have extreme violence and nudity in a show doesn't mean it's mature, you know, it just means that there's violence and nudity. And so what I was surprised by was, like, it's 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 a mature show. Like, it deals with serious topics and stuff in a way that's um, not... I don't know. I was I was just expecting it to be more crass. Put it that way. And so I, I so after I watched the first episode, I was like, oh wow, actually the show's you know this show's pretty good. So I uh, I started watching some more. So maybe we'll do a review of that. Why did I say all of that? 
Oh yeah, because I don't want the Mandalorian to be bad. That's honestly, that's it. That's all I have to say. It's just like I don't me complaining about Last Jedi. I'm not one of those people who wants to write off Star Wars. I love the Star Wars universe, and so anytime they advertise something that looks cool to me, if it's good, I'm happy. And I think the Mandalorian looks cool. So I hope it is. And that's it. All right. I want it to be good. I always want things to be good. Right. Like, I'm not a pessimist that way. Like, I I like things that are good. And hopefully uh, you guys do, too, because we're going to listen to some more music. That, my friend, uh, is a segue. So this is a track. It's an interesting one. It is chiptune-y. It gets a little bit more chiptune-y towards the end, but it's a cool one. It's from this album called AFS Plus by Oliver Arcane. It's brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters in the $10 club. There's Fraser Davidson, Pump Action Foreskin, <laughs> Neptune 90, Thundercats Ho, Dalton Bell, Heartbeat Hero, and Cat Temper. And uh, this track is called Casper Wyoming by Oliver Arcane. <laughs>
And that was Oliver Arcane with the track Casper Wyoming. And it was brought to you by my awesome uh, patrons in the $10 Club, Albion Algorithm, Retro Serenade, Gary Heather, Knight of Ducks, Andrew Benson, we listened to him earlier, Sarah Buchelman, and Justin Armour. And I was a little confused because I was listening to this track... And it was, I found it on a chiptune artist called Petroform's Bandcamp. And I'm like, who the hell is Oliver Arcane? And so I messaged him, and it turned out that Oliver Arcane is another alias he used to use a long time ago. So Oliver Arcane is actually Petroform, who I think I played a track of in the last chiptune show. So it uh, it gets complicated, man. Uh, not as complicated as Westworld. So I finally finished watching Westworld season one, and I'm a few episodes into season two. It's really weird because, you know, Everyone is talking about how, how good Westworld was. I watched the first episode years ago, and I I watched it, and I was like, this show is good, but it just didn't, I don't know, it didn't grab me. Um, and then I just never watched it again, and then I finally said, okay, I'm going to watch it, and yeah, now I'm into it. And it's a really uh, complicated show in the way that it's uh, structured, but it's it was, it was really cool. Although I think now that I've started season two, they're leaning more heavy into the gimmick that, oh, how do you say this? Because in season one, there's a twist... Everyone was like, oh, wait till you see the twist. And I was expecting it to be a plot twist, but it was more of a structure twist. And then season two seems to be leaning heavy into, well, now that you know that this show tells stories this way, we're going to go at it even more complicated. And uh, it's still, it's like, it's still cool. And then what else, man? So it was, but I like it. Maybe we'll do a review show of, uh, of that as well. And, oh, there was a Breaking Bad movie trailer, so that's cool. They didn't show anything, which is great. Uh, Breaking Bad was an awesome show, and I'm happy that they're going to explain what happened after to, to Jesse. Because that was my one problem with the, the finale. I mean, I know people say, like, you know, Breaking Bad is one of the few shows that didn't screw up its finale. While I don't think it was bad, like, I, like, I think the finale was good, it just, it still did the thing that frustrates me in a lot of finales where they try and do too much in the last episode um and there's a lot of shows that do that and i always find it sort of frustrating because i think people should treat tv shows like a book the last episode there should just be a few things that have to be resolved because everything seems rushed at that point you know you know when game of thrones was at its height uh you know in the first four seasons i think game of thrones handled it really well where they would often make the crazy episode the one with the biggest revelations um not the last episode of the season but the one before the penultimate you know so it was always kind of in episode nine that the crazy thing happened that was the structure it was like the final episode of every season was almost the denouement of holy shit like this crazy thing just happened and how are we going to deal with this moving forward and then it started saying maybe these characters are going to go to this town and maybe this character is going to go do this and it sort of gave you hints as to where the story was going and i mean yeah they would still end on like some sort of cool image or something you know to keep you teased for the next season but they didn't save everything for that uh, final episode. And so that's the way I wish that they would do show finales. Is, you know, if you've got, like, a whole bunch of lingering plot threads, like, deal with that stuff before you get to the final episode. So the final episode can just be a simple thing between the characters that we really care about. Having some sort of resolution or something. And that's, um, yeah, so I just felt Breaking Bad did kind of too much in its final episode. But that being said, I was always kind of disappointed with how little we saw of Jesse in the last one. That part felt really rushed to me. 
because I was really expecting a lot more sort of confrontation and then it was kind of like this little like three minute scene and so I'm glad that they're going to expand on whatever happened um, it makes me happy so look let's listen to one more track and then we will talk to Dub Mood alright so this is a track by C- I don't know how you even say this C-Trix C-Trix it's like C then capital T-R-I-X I believe is that an operating system or something hold on I feel like it's something but I don't know uh, what it is but anyways uh, look the bottom line is it's a cool song and it's brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters in the $10 club there's the Patch Bay Gus Velichek Playmaker Medias fucking slunks Matthew Lister Tristan Waits Skunk Raider and Colin Bennett and you guys are all cool so now let's listen to this track by C-Trix. This is Reach for the Stars. And that was Reach for the Stars by C-Trix from the album A 
for Amiga, and that was brought to you by my awesome patrons. There's Joe Ozone, Will Lowe, Poly Digital, IP68 with the 808, and then in the 777 Club, we got Life of Brenton and Skywolf. You guys are awesome, and if you want to support the show uh, like those awesome people, you can go to patreon.com slash beyondsynth, or you can just go to beyondsynth.com, and there are a few different uh, donate options there if you just want to go through PayPal or use the Patreon. Either way is cool with me. Uh, now, let's go to my conversation with Dub Mood. Alright! Well, I am here today with Dub Mood. How's it going, man? Well, it's going better for me than the guys in, in the Giro. Yeah, sorry, I'm, I'm still watching the the race. It's it's pouring. What what exactly is going on? Because usually I record these shows months before they come out. So for the people who are listening now, they know that we recorded this on this day. Yeah, it's the Giro Giro d'Italia. So is this like racing? Yeah, cycling. I was always wondering who watches cycling. So you watch the bike races? I watch I watch cycling. I think it's a very geeky sport. So I guess it fits. <laughs> you know, it's all about it's all about watts and 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 heart rates and and, and stats and you know, you can almost like robots. <laughs> how, how long have you watched the uh, racing? On and on and off the whole life, but uh I'm really having a, a um a stint with cycling right now like I'm, I'm really onto it at the moment do you cycle oh a lot every second that i'm not working so i've done a few sort of chiptune shows um i did a few last year with uh, one with uh, sabutam and another guy called salsa and a lot of the time on this show i'm focused on sort of the synthwave scene and there was so many producers that came out of uh sweden I think like last year I talked to a ton of Swedish people and the chiptune seemed to sort of have its thing in, in Sweden as well. And the metal. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and there is and there is this crossover, which is pretty funny. So, because you're in France now, right? But are you, are you originally from someplace else? Yeah, I've been living in France for, um, what year is this? 2019? Yeah. Uh, 13 years. Okay. But I'm originally from from Gothenburg in, in, on the west coast of Sweden. Okay, yeah, because I was wondering, because I mean, all this stuff always seemed to have some sort of Swedish origin, and then when you're like giving me Paris time, and I'm like, wait, I thought this guy was Swedish too. And I'm like, okay, so you are. So what? Why, like, why did you uh, move? That's a very good question. I I don't really have an answer. I was supposed to stay here for for three weeks. And uh, now I'm 13 years and counting. Uh, you know how else life uh, happens mm-hmm. while you're doing other stuff. So it's just like a little trip, and then you're like, "Yeah, fuck it. This is it's cooler here." Yeah, it was like uh, I had about a year off. I had planned to take a year off to like figure stuff out because I was what 20 when you don't know what you want to do. So I had this plan to go around a few cool cities in Europe and like check out which one I liked the most, like Barcelona and Berlin and, and Paris and London. But I started with Marseille, and yeah, <laughs> I never got any further. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's cool. I mean, at least it's you're you're enjoying yourself over there. Yeah, you know, it's the weather. When you're from the west coast of Sweden, you have grown up with like rain and cold and wind, and you don't have any real winters. It snows, and it becomes like this kind of muddy ice that rains away, uh, and it goes on from like October to April. Uh, it's just a horrible climate. Uh, and then you have the summer, which is basically just rain. 
and 14 degrees celsius <laughs> so uh, anytime you get a little bit of sun it's it's like it's like heroin you know and here in marseille we got a we got like 250 days of sun a year so so yeah i'm a junkie yep. <laughs> Well, of all the things you could be a junkie for, I think sun is probably okay. Yeah, sun cycling and chip tunes. Yeah. <laughs> You're one of the names that I just associate with chiptune music. No, oh, thank you. It's what I said to Sabutom when I had him on the show because... Sabutom is a name that I associate with chiptune music. <laughs> yes, well, it's the two of you because I, um, well, when I was younger... And this, you know, in the early 2000s or whatever, I was never into the demo scene. Like, I never knew it existed, but I knew I liked video game music and electronic music and stuff like that. I must have downloaded a folder of just chiptunes, not even sure why I did. You're, you're sure you didn't get it from, like, pirated software? Well, I heard the music when I did pirate software, right? But I didn't... It's only in the past few years that I've learned about like the demo scene itself because I never thought about it before like when I was young and my brother had a Commodore 64 and all the games on Commodore were all ripped game like no one bought anything and so if you had a Commodore you know you'd always have this fucking box everyone I knew who had a Commodore had like a box of discs that were all copied discs and they all had that music at the start exactly but I never understood who made them you know what I mean like I just thought, oh, that's part of the game, or I never, I never gave thought to the programming that went into it. It sounds like we have a similar, similar history, because I, I had an Atari, and that was exactly my story as well. Yeah, and and I loved that stuff, and and you know, whenever I would, um, when I used uh, Fruity Loops, which FL Studio now, but like Fruity Loops, back in the day, whenever I would install plugins, they would always have these cool chiptune songs at the beginning, and I, I just never thought about it. You know, I just I just was like, oh, that's just the music for the, you know, the cracking software. Like I never the, the, sound, the sound of piracy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, the, the sound of piracy. Yeah, so I never gave it thought, and and so when I had this folder of of chiptune music, I didn't even know if the songs were labeled properly. This is back in the day, but I just remember fucking Dub Mood and Zabutum or Sabutam, he says. And those were just the names. I was like, oh, these are the guys that make chiptune music, right? Like, I didn't really know there was a scene. I didn't know that these people even, like, knew each other or how they were connected. So, for me, at least, like, probably, like, 15 years or something, I've always just known the name Dub Mood and chiptune music. So it's cool to chat with you about it. Uh, now you have a, a, a sound of the voice to handle. Yeah, man. Talking into a kick drum microphone. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> A big bronze bull. Well, how about this? Let's listen to a track, and then we'll uh, we'll get the show on the roll here. So, speaking of Sabu Tom, you've you've done a lot of stuff with him, and this is a track that you released on a best of 2001-2003 album. Oh, the golden years. This is a cool track called "St Style," featuring Sabu Tom by Dub Mood. <laughs>
And that was Dub Mood with the track ST Style featuring Sabutam. And uh, and that's a fun track, and that's a, a cool compilation you put together. A lot of the tracks that I had, I think, sort of showed up on this album. Yeah, those are the hits. Yeah, there's also a great uh, cover of the Afterburner theme in there. Oh, yeah, I love that one. Best cover. I wonder, did I hear, I wonder if I heard that with a fucking crack troll or whatever. You most probably did. It was a very used track because uh, for some reason I didn't give it to Razor 1911. Like the group I gave most of my cracks tuned to. Uh, I gave it to some zero day group and they like shared members with zillions of other zero day groups. Like the wear scene is weird in that way. So that tune showed up in like everything from weird like cracks for Winsip, whoever cracks Winsip, <laughs> to like games. Uh, I, I still see it pop up today. It's like uh, it's become a, it's have, a, have a life of its own. Yeah, Winsip. <laughs> yeah. yeah, all of these things. <laughs> that because I would have had to fucking crack stupid win zip and win rar. Yeah, I guess. How did you get started in in making chip tunes? I, I had a Commodore, but I'm, I guess I'm a little bit younger than you are. I'm just a bit too young to really remember the Commodore. But then we got an Atari ST. My father uh, swapped floppies with his colleagues at, at work. So we had this huge uh, collection of, of cracked games. But I didn't, didn't really enjoy the gaming on the Atari. I just launched the games to watch the, uh, the cracked rows. Mm-hmm. And uh, just had them on loop and like read the scrollers and imagine all these people who were behind these, uh, <laughs> these cracked rows and, and what kind of universe they were from because it was also so strange and magical for like kids that's what eight nine ten years old yeah to read about uh, like scene drama and some obscure uh, subculture uh, <laughs> that's about piracy and and it yeah it was just blow my mind so i just recorded all the ship tunes from the kijans and uh, and the crack intros and I like had it on my Walkman to school <laughs> yeah. when all the other uh, all the other kids were listening to uh, Spice Girls yeah. and Backstreet Boys <laughs> I were listening to Chip Tunes uh, and uh, yeah I, I knew exactly right then what I wanted to do with my life I wanted to be one of those guys writing scrollers for a crack intro I loved this stuff and yet the trajectory was for me was different because for some reason and I'm I'm just processing this right now why I just took the music for granted. Like when the synthwave scene sort of started to form, it compelled me to create this podcast. So like I was like, once I started finding the music, I'm like, okay, I got to get into this. I got to talk to the people that make it and stuff. And even though I really liked chiptunes, for some reason, I just took them for granted. I took the crack tros for granted and I didn't even, I didn't even wonder where they were coming from. And it's so interesting that, you know, that one question or that, that one, you know, the need to know more than just fucking shapes your whole life when you discover that there's this whole scene. Yeah, I don't know what, why this fascinated me so much, where, who did the, who were behind them. Because you said you didn't really like playing the games too much, but like, were you, in, were you into games on like other platforms? Yeah, maybe it's because uh, we had one buggy joystick for the Atari that didn't work really well, so you always just died because you couldn't go right, only left. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking, too, earlier when you talked about what your dad trading the discs, how technology has changed so much that like, if a person now, a young person, listens to this conversation and hears the term swapped floppies... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how little sense that is going to make to somebody. 
exactly. It's, it's all, all these words and, and terms are always changing with each generation. Like 10 years ago, I would probably rant about what people call ship tune or if they call it ship music or or 8-bit because those terms had a little bit different meaning back then and, and today I don't care because the meaning of the word chiptune today has, has taken its own meaning and I guess the young people listening to this will, will have to imagine what swapping floppies mean. Yeah. We shouldn't tell them. We should let them. We should let them guess. Well, speaking of floppies here, let's. Uh, we're going to move forward in time, and we're going to go to an album you released called Lost Floppies Volume One, and this was uh, another one featuring uh, Sabutom, which I liked. I can't say it because <laughs> the title is okay. I'll try. Give me the first letter. Sahar Kanman Oxogora. What is that? Sahar Kanman Oxogora. It means uh, you can do it like this as well. Like, uh, I think we needed to name that track like two minutes before the deadline on a demo party. And we had no clue. And like, Sabitom just said that. And I took the phrase and, and put it as a title and sent in the tune. All right, man. Well, well let's uh, let's listen to it. Then you can explain this to me. Yeah, so here, here it is. <laughs>
Right, and that was... Så här kan man också göra. Så här kan man också I know, it's a silly language. It should be forbidden. By uh, 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 Dub Mood featuring uh, Sabu Tom, and I am here with Dub Mood right now. So what does that mean? Uh, like, you could do it like this as well. That's exactly what it means, or kind of loosely translated. You mean the actual sentence, you can do this as well? Yeah, you, like, you can do it something like like this, maybe. <laughs> you know, if, like uh, the, the proposition to somebody to do it differently. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting name for a song. Yeah, it was a trend back in chiptunes like '98 to 2003 to give really, really silly names to your tracks. So, what exactly is? Because you mentioned before a uh, razor. Yeah, 1911. 1911. So, explain what that is. It's the uh, oldest software piracy ring on the internet that's still active. And so those were the dudes who were actually like cracking the software and then... Let's say that it's a loosely held together part of people in a very obscure subculture that is focused on getting software before it hits the stores, remove the copy protection and then spread it to another closed circle of people, like enlightened people in the subculture, the fastest possible and also by adding a cool intro screen to whatever software was cracked which plays music and have some cool graphics and a scroller which is basically a text message giving shout outs to it's you know like graffiti the uh, <laughs> the geek equivalent of of graffiti yeah. <laughs> When I was looking up old uh, dub mood tracks, because there's the ones I have in my iTunes, like I've got a playlist and there's a bunch, but I could never be sure if they were labeled correctly because, you know, in the um, in the early days, you know, where like Napster and Kazaa and things like that, a lot of times music was labeled incorrectly. Not only that, I mean, the nightmare with Napster that people tend to forget is that if you started to download a track with Napster, it, it really started at byte zero on the MP3 and it got the title and the, the name and everything everything and the, the tag and then it started downloading and if that download ever ever got um, stopped you would have an incomplete mp3 because people were downloading those to their in, in folders that were shared on napster you would have like one chance in two to get an incomplete mp3 on napster right for years to come everybody had these folders of like 30 second mp3s it really ruined the internet yeah i forgot about that for me the biggest problem was just the fucking mislabeling like i wasn't really listening to too much like uh underground music and so i, I would download like depeche mode and stuff and and even then if they were big bands they would still be labeled incorrectly so there there'd be people who would like put up a depeche mode song but it would say it was duran duran or something else and you wanted to enjoy the silence but you got personal jesus well no see that still would have been depeche mode at least <laughs> <laughs> it would have been the right band. But yeah, so I had to make sure because I was listening to these tracks that are labeled dub mood, but I'm like, okay, I just got to make sure these actually are dub mood tracks. What I notice with on YouTube and stuff when people share them is there is still a sort of a, a confusion because I think some people think that Razor 1911 or 1911 is one dude. Is, is a dude <laughs> who makes all the songs. And then there's always someone yeah. in the comments who goes like, no, 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 this is dub mood. And then, you know, people like go like, I thought this was Razor or whatever. And yeah. Yeah, there, there's. There's even an archive, it's called like Crack Kijin Music or Crack Music or something.com, which have thousands of tracks that are all mislabeled, like <laughs> they're all labeled after the release group. Perfect. Like Razor 911 track one. <laughs> That's the ideal thing, just a, a folder full of mislabeled songs. Ah, uh, yeah. God bless the internet. 
<laughs> well, speaking of keygens, let's listen to uh, this other one. This is from uh, Lost Floppies Volume 1 again. This was one I dug. This is uh, keygen number five, a nice title. Uh, this is by Dub Mood. And that was Dub Mood with the track Key Gen Number 5 from Lost Floppies Volume 1. And I'm here with Dub Mood right now. So how did you say your name again? You said it was Calais, like that? Yeah, Calais. Calais. Like, I, I like the French way, like Calais. Calais. <laughs> yeah. Calais. Anyway, isn't it nice with Kijin music that have numbers? That it's, it's like almost like classical music. You know, you would have like Beethoven's Sonata number five uh, version 32 in C minor. Or you would have like Kijin five. Because <laughs> I'm assuming you made quite a bit. I mean, like in my iTunes list, there's a ton of songs. And they're all like little like sometimes 30 seconds and 40 seconds little things. Like what was your decision when you were putting these on? to these sort of compilation albums like was there tracks you left behind and why good question this was so long ago well the numbers there were tons of people making Kijin music back then and I were far from the first so like all the cool dudes would they had like 200 tracks and they were called like Kijin 1 to 200 so I wanted to be cool as well so I, I gave them numbers instead of names and then how I selected them for the compilations I think I was just very rational and went on to Audio Scrubble, Audio Scrubbler, Scrubbler. You remember that site? No, I don't know what that is. I think they rebranded and call themselves Last FM today. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it was like early internet uh, or early, (laughs) 15 years ago, 10 years ago. It kept track on whatever people were listening to. So when I decided to put out all these chip tunes on compilations, I just checked the most popular tracks and uh, compared them them to what, uh, what I liked which tracks I like of mine and that's that. So when you did your research and sort of found out that there was this scene going on with people making chiptune music and stuff like what who were the names of the ones that like started it because to me Dub Mood Zabutam like those are the names in my head that are like this is the first stuff I ever heard so therefore it's the beginning of chiptune for me yeah I would say uh, Zabutam and I uh, are part of what I would call like the third generation of chiptune musicians late 90s to early zeros whatever you call the beginning of the new millennia. The The aughts, I think. They call them the aughts. (laughs) 
<laughs> the arts is fucking stupid. <laughs> I like it. Before us, there were still one generation of like PC ship tune composers. You have to remember that living its own life next to the PC platform still during the 90s was uh, the Amiga, mostly Amiga, some Atari and Commodore scenes as well. Right. So people would define themselves as I'm a Amiga shiptune composer. You know, today a, sh- a shiptuner will, will make their sound based on a certain console. Uh, I guess that wasn't the sh- their choice back then. It was more or less based on what the choice their parents had when they were... Uh, in the computer store and bought a computer and then you were stuck with that stuck with your Amiga <laughs> poor guys when you could have an Atari and and those were the I would say second generation uh, there were some really cool names like uh, W-O-T-W and uh, Dalesi guys called uh, Face It uh, Vane you remember um, that track from the Worms 2 crack intro That dude was really cool, Quasar. And then before that generation, which I would call like the second generation, there was still one generation of the real dudes, the the founding fathers, the first men of chiptune, those people who like didn't have any choice to what kind of music uh, they wanted to make because they were stuck with old computers that could only like bleep. You know, the same generation of people who actually made the music for the game. Right. And then you would have like some of those individuals didn't work for game companies yet. But I guess they wanted to, so they composed music for, for crack intros instead and hope to get picked up. For me, I mean, I understand that sort of the weirdness of the distinction of chiptune now, because, you know, you can boot up like any sort of DAW and just get the chiptune sounds and then make a song that way, which is not quite the same as using a tracker or using a tracker in a certain computer, like you're saying, where you have no choice, but like this is the sound. Like if you're if you're composing using a Commodore, like you're just going to get Commodore sounds because that's what's there. So it's weird to think of them as chipped. Like when I think about all the Commodore music that I think is really awesome, even though those people were technically composers, it's like I don't consider them chip tune because they were actually composing music for games, even though the music that they are making is chiptune music for for some reason they're they're composers but if you don't work for a game company then you're a chiptune musician well think of it like this the word chip music or chiptune is younger than the phenomena by like seven eight years it's kind of like you know how when you speak about live music in in contrary to recorded music that didn't exist before the existence of music on records before that it was only music and it was only when music could be recorded that you have to define if this was live or a recording. Back then, music on a computer uh, wasn't called ship tune or ship music. It was just music until Amiga or other similar computers came by in the late 80s, early 90s, which could do more advanced sounds like play samples <laughs> for uh, as a start, <laughs> big leap forward. And then people coming that were either nostalgic already back in the 90s imagine or came from the original platforms and they wanted to imitate the sound of the Commodore or the Atari and what kind of sound was that well that was the sound generated by the chips right so chip tune so the real definition of a ship tune from a very genre Nazi point of view if you can <laughs> call it that it's actually an imitation of a ship music the first like trace of the term ship tune was was a guy called uh, nuke 
from a group called Anarchy on Amiga who like made a bleepy track on the Amiga, <laughs> God forbid, and call it a chip tune. Okay, well that makes sense. Well, how about this? Let's uh, we'll keep talking about this, but I want to listen to another track. This is moving forward a few years. What is RDA? Oh, <laughs> uh, it's the French uh, acronym for uh, East Germany (DDR). La République Démocratique d'Allemagne. Because this one's called C'était mieux en, and then yeah. RDA. Do you? Yeah. Do they say in French like RDA or do they go RIDA or what do they do? Yeah, RDA. RDA. C'était mieux en RDA. I'm, I'm going to tell you why it's called that afterwards. All right, man. Well, let's let's, listen, uh, to let's listen to this. This is a track I dug. This one's called. 2A <laughs> I, love, I love announcing a track title when it's that like simple uh, by Dub Mood
that was Dub Mood with the track 2A from the album C'était Mieux en RDA. And I am here. Hey, nice French pronunciation. Thank you. With the yeah. <laughs> I'm here with, the, with Dub Mood right now. Calais? No, how do you do it? How did the French do it again? Yeah, that's spot on. You nailed it. Was this like the first full length album you did that like was created as an album and not as like a collection of old tracks? I, I believe it actually is. I never thought of it like that. But when you when you say it like that, I guess it's true. For me, it was just my first album made on a Game Boy. Okay. And also uh, my first album entirely made uh, on the toilet, <laughs> which is a complete true story. And this was because it was made on a Game Boy Color? I was living with a guy called Comfy Pop, also a shiptune composer. And uh, at this time, I, I, I thought making music on the Game Boy was a bit too uh, hype. You know, I wanted to be anti-establishment, okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, because I came from the Atari scene, and I, I considered that to be cooler than the new kids on the block making music on Game Boys. You can sometimes be a bit, a bit uh, ridiculous when you're younger. But Comfy Pop, he was a pure Game Boy musician, really good, by the way. You should check out his, his techno stuff. He had a Game Boy with the music software uh, laying around uh, on the toilet in our apartment so i like every time i <laughs> went to the loo uh, i composed the, some music <laughs> and it uh, it ended up becoming an album so next time you listen to that that album now you know the story maybe that's where <laughs> it should be listened to <laughs> to get the full experience put some earphones on every time i go to the can yeah toilet music anyway the title is also a joke uh, it means it was better in DDR which is a Swedish catchphrase slash joke from when I grew up today you would the joke is still around what do you say this is an uh, what's the English uh, op- the opposite of a developing country uh, a developed country Right, rich country problem. Like first world? Yeah, first world problem. That's it. For example, if you you were watching the television and you couldn't figure out which was the remote to the telly when you wanted to change the channel because you also had a remote for the DVD or the radio or whatever. Yeah. The VHS. You would say that, ah, oh, fuck, it was better in DDR. Right, okay, okay, I gotcha. So yeah, first world problem. Translated weirdly to French. <laughs> Nobody got it. Are you saying that this Game Boy just stayed in the bathroom the whole time? Yeah, you should keep your hands away from that one. If, if you ever see it, it's like a violet red. If you ever come by my place and you see that Game Boy in a box, don't touch it. <laughs> yeah. And then the worst part is it was white when I bought it. <laughs> <laughs> At least it's not brown. Yeah. <laughs> Why didn't that color make it for the Game Boys? I mean, you had the yellows and the reds and the beige. You didn't have, like, shit brown. That's true, actually. Have they ever done... Well, look at Volvo. Volvo did shit brown cars. Why didn't Nintendo do shit brown Game Boys? It's a nice color. I guess... <laughs> I guess also... T- well, the old systems, I feel like whenever they had wood, like an Atari, I feel like there might be an Atari that has some brown on it, like if they, if they had a bit of wood on the side or something. The, the fake wood panel. That, that's yeah. so, such class. <laughs> You mentioned this before that maybe your sort of attitude has changed, but was there a point in time where you were a stickler or like a purist for, you know, if you're talking about chiptune, like that means a very specific thing? Oh, yeah, man. I was an integrist. I was like the Al Qaeda of chiptune genre Nazism. <laughs> I regret that now, but uh, we came from this small, very close subculture that existed only on the internet and even before the internet when people swapped floppies and like the demo scene and then suddenly it became a thing like shiptune and the scene got filled with all these people who didn't come from from the scene 
like the subculture of the demo scene and the crack scene. Right. That came from like other musical backgrounds, like had been touring with punk bands and, and like already had all this figured out. And they started playing the music live, which nobody did back then because I mean, I remember the discussions in the late 90s, like you can't play Shiptune live, it would just be like press play on a Game Boy on stage. It would be fake. I mean, that's a discussion that goes on with electronic music up to today, like with the live PA problem. But anyway, so we were so purist and then in came all these people and some of us felt threatened, you know, like uh, who are these to pick up what we have been doing? Like we never meant anything. So a lot of people from the demo scene part of Shiptune took the integrists path like you shouldn't compose with an emulator you should call ship music ship music ship tune ship tune and god forbid you should never call anything 8-bit <laughs> but like i guess all subcultures uh, that has their scene have this scene drama attached to it like if you're a synth mo if you're into that or if you're into like some weird uh, melodic death metal you will find the scene and you will find the drama that's just normal for any subculture. Most people I know uh, with the same background as me has, has also changed opinions on and like loosened up a bit. Maybe that's age. I don't know. Uh, but some people still stick to it. I still get like thumbed down some demo scene communities like, yeah, this is made with Ableton. It's not cheap tune. <laughs> <laughs> From like a 45 year old dude. Like what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> Come on, man. The same thing happens in Synthwave because I, um, even though I use the word Synthwave to describe this show, when I started the show, I really I, I referred to synthwave as a genre. After a while, I sort of realized that it's not really a genre so much as it is like it's it's a name for the scene itself because there's so much different music in it. There's a lot of synthwave that has chiptune sounds in it that I would call synthwave for whatever reason. But then there's still purists. And there are these synthwave purists that, like, they don't like when there's vocals. There was a genre of music called, like, Outrun. You know, it sounded kind of more video game sounding with sort of 80s synthesizer samples. Yeah, like a car game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 80s car game, yeah. But to me, I use the term to describe a ton of different things that sort of fall under this umbrella, which is why I stopped thinking about it as a genre and more of just a, a way to describe all the people who are sort of making music based on their own sort of nostalgia. But then I'm curious, what does this synthwave purist, the synthwave genre, genre Nazis, call the synthwave that sounds exactly like synthwave, but outdates the name synthwave with like 10, 15 years? What do they call that? That's a good question. Proto synthwave? Yeah, that's a good question. Because, yeah, because the word has only existed for a little while. But obviously, you know, when you go back and listen to like a Tangerine Dream soundtrack or something, that's not synthwave. That's just, you know, electronic music or film score, electronic film score or something like that. Yeah, but back in the early, what do you call them again? Early o oats? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there was like this uh, electro scene. Yes. Uh, sometimes called like Filter House or Fidget House, and then came the Electro House. But a side path of that sounds so synthwave before the like 15, 10 years prior. There's a track by I think Lifelike from 2004 that sounds like it came out yesterday on, on the biggest synthwave album the, the synthwave scene sort of had this it's had sort of like a few moments where it sort of expands and the biggest one was around the movie Drive mm, yeah so when the movie Drive came out because it's got the Kavinsky song in the title sequence and it's got like the 80s sort of pink 
lettering for the the title and it's got a song by college in there that's what sort of inspired a ton of people to join the scene but obviously before that those people still had to make their music and that's before it was called synthwave and some of the older people in the scene point to artists like lifelike as being their inspiration yeah personally uh mullinex and bmx and a guy called data these are like the lighthouses of that sound to me yeah no it's it's funny it's like uh, the more i do the show the more i keep sort of going backwards because when it first started much in the same way as i think of you and sabutam as being like oh that's chip too and that's when it started you know with all these crack tros and then when i finally talk to you guys then it goes like oh it actually goes a little further back and you know it's it's before the terms existed and so on and synthwave is the same thing it's like the longer i do the show the more i start talking to people who are doing it before and then what their inspirations were and it's fun it's fun to figure these things out i like it well if you really want to get geeky in shiptune history or even like the history of digital music we have our own uh, shiptune ethnologist is that the term for it in uh, in go to 80 you, have you heard about him anders um i have played i think i've played a go to 80 song on one of my chiptune shows yeah, like he's he's writing he i think he did his master thesis in like the history of proto-digital music. Uh, he has this very detailed site and database with timelines when everything was released, like from today, you know, key moments of technological key moments in shiptune history. Going back to like the 30s, pre-war. So if you really want to talk shiptune history with him, <laughs> you should invite him. That sounds deep. Well, look, uh, we got to listen to another song though, man. All right. And then, and then we'll keep talking. So this was a track from an, uh, an album you put out called Crack Scene Music Best Of 2004 to 2007. This one's called WTW, The One and Only, which you can explain to me. Of course. Because I don't know what that means. By Dub Mood.
And that was Dub Mood with the track W-O-T-W, the one and only, and I am here with Dub Mood right now. Now, here's what I did, because I don't know what that means. So I looked up the acronym WTW to find out if that was something I was supposed to know. <laughs> tell me, what did you find? Okay, well, I'll tell you, because I got a huge list. Okay. Because <laughs> at first I'm like, oh, this is a video game I've never heard of or something. So here's what, here's what I got. War of the Worlds, Wind on the Water, Watchers on the Wall... Windows on the World, Word of the Week, Women of the World, Writing on the Wall, Warriors of the World, Worst of the Worst, (laughs) Way of the Warrior, Winter of the Wolf, Woodman of the World, whatever the fuck that is, Wanker of the Week. (laughs) (laughs) That's the one. No, that's not one, sorry. War of the Web, Women on the Water, and Writers of the Wind. So was it any of those? Well, I could lie and say it was War of the Web because that sounds really cool. But no, sorry, none of those. What? No. (laughs) Then this list is shit. I'm actually trying to find exactly what it means. Was that an artist? Like, who is that? Yeah, it's a guy. He was like the main in-house chiptune musician in Racer before. I joined like uh, he phased out when I phased in he's a German guy and he's he's called uh, WOTW and he made like a hundred tracks for Razer like any game from Razer you would download between what to uh, 1994 and 1998 1999. I mean, it's it's a 95% chance that it's him. So this was a uh, an homage? Yeah, that's his track 101, his best track. So it's like a medley of uh, one of my tracks, his track, and like some jamming on top. Was that just you listening and playing those bits, or did you actually have like the original files? Like the, what do you call the files? You call them mods. Or modules. Right, and that's the actual thing that if you boot up in the tracker, like, when I look up chiptune things is that people are always asking, I guess, for the mods, right? Like, where they can get the the source file. Exactly. It's from, uh, like, one of the first trackers, ProTracker. Their file format was mod. Most trackers can load the format mod because it was, like, the standard format. Oh, okay, so, okay, okay. That's my misunderstanding. See, I I didn't realize that was the actual file type. Yeah, uh, but it's it's a kind of limited compared to the later formats. Already when I got started, I didn't do mods. I I did XM module, (laughs) which was the format from a tracker called Fast Tracker. Right. Uh, at the same time as I'm talking to you, I'm trying to find one, uh, like one of his early mods to see if he ever explained his name, W-O-T-W. We're going to go with Wanker of the Week if you can't find the... Uh... <laughs> yeah. yeah, let's call him that. No, he's, he's, a, he's a cool guy. <laughs> it's just funny that that was one of the options. <laughs> yeah, I'm checking out his like first chip tunes from 91, and he still doesn't explain what his name why so you know that's another cool thing with these modules when you load them up you would have like a sample database to the right of the screen and you were supposed to name the samples but uh, nobody did that Uh, instead they wrote like cool messages where the sample names should be so like when i when i look up his old mods uh, he would have like tell stories and like uh, give his phone number tell his best friend to get better because he has a a, a flu (laughs) you know that's that's kind of (laughs) Uh, weird stuff from like what do you call it yeah messages stuck in time I love how nerdy the subculture is man it's <laughs> like... it's so amazing because when you would load up one of these modules you could literally like you could watch the source code if you want like how the track was made and you could even steal the sounds from a guy and make your own track it was just so so handy to learn how to make music was that ever a thing 
did people ever get upset if if you made a song and like, hey, you stole that song from fucking what's his face? Yeah, people would steal songs uh, that wasn't okay. But stealing or copying or borrowing samples was generally okay. Some people would write in their tracks, "Don't copy my samples." Uh, but those were a minority. Instead, you would write from who you got your samples in your track, and then it was okay. So it's a friendly thing, right? Right? Yeah, it's like the general mentality of the demo and crack scene is like give credits where credit is due. Did you ever try and do any of the actual like the art stuff, or did you always just focus on music? I did some ANSI, but that's about it. I figured out that chiptune was uh, what, what I was good at. My my bigger brother became a really successful ANSI writer. So yeah, he took care of that part for the family. <laughs> so your brother was into this too then? Yeah, he's the one who got uh, got me into everything. Okay. Well, it's cool to have uh, similar interests. Yeah, he, you, you know, like the circle is complete. I made the music and you know when you check where stuff and you always have these NFO files with like cool ASCII logos. Yeah, he did those. It's just such an awesome thing, like just because, like I said before, like how I never really did the research and all this stuff I just took for granted. You know, just get some piece of software and it's got a folder and there's all this stuff in there, and I just be like, all right, like that's just that's just what comes with a cracked thing, you know. Like I never really thought about it in terms of here's a piece of art, yeah, here's a piece of animation by uh, you know a guy, and here's a piece of music, and and in later years, antivirus software would like tag all these key gems and stuff as viruses, so people even got scared of checking them out. So it's like a a lost art form today. It's like the the hieroglyphs. I'm your Rosetta Stone. Yeah. <laughs> well, look, let's listen to another song, man. This was um, a thing you came out, uh, I think, uh, a year later after the last one we listened to, which was a uh, Toffel Skater remixes. Whatever Toffel Skater is, what is Toffel Skater? A Toffel Skater. Sometimes in some parts of Sweden, you would call them a Toffelhjelte, which means a Toffel hero. A Toffel is slippers. Those are slippers. A skater is a skater or a jelt is a hero. A slipper hero would be that kind of friend that you have uh, that disappears when he has a, girl, a girlfriend. And when he's single, he's always back in the <laughs> gang, you know. <laughs> but like for, for like these long periods, he would just be gone. And uh, if you would call him, he would always have an excuse related to his girlfriend. <laughs> so that's the actual meaning of the word, but that's not why I named the track Toffle Skater. Uh, this was a DreamHack, and again, I needed a name before the deadline. I don't know if, uh, if you're familiar with it. It was a big demo party back in the days. Uh, one of the main organizers, uh, <laughs> really soft, uh, laid back, like the dude, the dude from from uh, Big Lebowski. Turned out he could skate. You know, the, the guy who would be the last person in the room who would figure could skate? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he had these slippers on, like soft slippers, and pulled off of like crazy skate tricks with slippers <laughs> so he was a, a real toffle skater slipper skater <laughs> so yeah that's that so when i saw him do that that's, that's the name of the track all right man well let's uh let's listen to it uh this is uh toffle skater the dub mood 2007 remix Let's <laughs> go. 
And that was Tuffle Skater by Dub Mood, the 2007 remix. And uh, and that's a cool one. It's sort of a bit more dancey. I think that was part of the, the remix aspect. Yeah, that's like when Ed Bangers started dropping bangers <laughs> and you wanted to sound cool as well. It's funny that twice as many years has passed between the original tune and the remix than from the remix and today when when i did the remix it was like oh i'm gonna remix one of my old tracks <laughs> why did you come up with dub mood that was my hacker name <laughs> <laughs> i regret i regret it because i don't make dub music you know so uh, when you see dub mood you will believe it's it's gonna be dub or like ragamuffin but it ain't except that my number one track it's like a reggae track now it was my hacker name i had some previous handles i think i went under the name soup for for quite some time <laughs> and then i like cycled through some cool names from from tolkien and other fantasy books because i was like 12 13 year old making tunes and then when i joined racer i needed a cooler name <laughs> i had this really cool drum and bass and free made by a guy called uh, Aphrodite and the name of the track is Dub Moods in plural so I just removed the S and that's that's the story it's funny because I have a hard time saying it and I don't know why Dub Mood? yeah because for some reason my brain wants to always say Dub Moob with a B <laughs> well the number of times that I like French journalist, journalists think it's Dub Moon. And this could be with English. It might just be with me. Like, maybe I, this is the sign of a stroke or something. But, like, when I when it is Dub Mood, I actually have to, like, sort of stop and think. Because if I don't, I will always end it with a B. And, like, <laughs> a Moob isn't a thing. Sometimes you might, if someone has a weird name that sounds like another name, you might always say it because you, you know the other name. Like, if someone's called, like, Frant... You're always going to say, like, think their name is Frank because no one is called Frant. <laughs> but Dub Mood, like, I, I always, I, I don't know, I don't know why, man. It's just, I always go Dub Moob and I'm like, fuck, it's not that. And it's like, well, Moob, Moob sounds better than Dub Mood. Maybe I should just switch to Moob. <laughs> like, imagine to live with the name that you came up with when you were 13. <laughs> I mean, how did the other 13 year olds come up with such a cool name? Like, look at Depeche Mode. Like, how did they come up with Depeche Mode when they were... What, 14? Well, I came up with dub mood. <laughs> oh, they were a little older. I think they were either early 20s or like 19 or so. Like they were young, but they weren't young. young. They, they weren't dub mood young. No, no, no. They weren't hackers. <laughs> <laughs> what did you hack, man? I don't know. The system? I was, I was more of a cracker. <laughs> okay. You know, like the, like the school computers, like everybody did. 
in the 90s. Yeah, I, I remember, uh, I mean, this isn't hacking, but this, <laughs> we had, in, where, where I went to school, so I'm from Canada, and in the province I live, there was literally a type of computer that was local to my province. Really? Yeah, I've tried to explain it to people and they don't know what the hell I'm talking about because this company literally existed in my province, so Ontario in Canada, and it was a company that developed these computers for schools. They literally only existed in the mid-80s in schools in Ontario. I didn't realize this because I had no idea that was a thing. That They were called icons. Oh, nice. Also a cool name. <clears throat> yeah, and they had these they had speech synthesis in them because the some games had voice and they were they just had educational games and games that weren't super educational. Like there's the game we always played called Build a Funny Face and it was a face and you had to like drag the eyes and a mustache and a nose over to the head. But it started with an audio sample where it said, you know, like, build a funny face. And it was like all old 80s voice uh, simulator. And I wanted to look for it later because I have so many memories of playing the stupid shitty games on these icons. And when I researched it, it turned out they literally only, they were like sold to Ontario schools. They look, they look so cool though. I just Google it. And then when it was done, I think they just threw them out. Like, I, I, I don't think I can find one. I would love to find one. Wow, the, yeah, the trackable built into the keyboard. Yeah, exactly. And that was the glitch I was going to tell you because like, there was this game called Upstairs Downstairs and it was just, you're just a happy face that you have to move through a house. It was sort of like a maze sort of, but there was this thing where if you took the trackball and you fucking spun it as fast as you could to the left and as hard as you could, then the face would fly outside of the house because it would fly through the wall. <laughs> and I remember that's all we would do is like whenever we played upstairs, downstairs, like just like, hey man, if you fucking spin the thing real fast, it fucking flies through the wall and it was like so cool because we like broke the game until the trackball disconnects from the keyboard and, and flies through the window that never happened actually because I think the trackball I think the shape of the plastic of the keyboard sort of held the trackball in I don't think it could come out ah I see good Canadian design yeah because I <laughs> like the idea of a Canadian computer company like it just doesn't even make sense that's why your your French pronunciation is, is so so spot on then I didn't know you were from Canada. Like, my mom is French, France, like France, French. French, French. <laughs> so when I ever do try and speak French, I, I do more of like actual France, French than I do Canadian French. But I'm still not very good. I understand stuff, sort of. But when it comes to actually talking, like, that's when it sort of falls apart. I love I love the Quebec accent. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, it's so funny. I, I try to watch these tutorials uh, by a, um, a Quebec carpenter because I'm renovating my house. And I, 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 I can't keep it together, man. I guess, <laughs> yeah. Well, it does. It has a certain sort of twang to it. <laughs> I don't really do a good impression of it, but I do notice the difference. Like, I, I hear it. Today, he showed me how to renovate a, a fenêtre. <laughs> Yeah, there's there's other words too, uh, but it's also they also incorporate a lot of English, and so they they'll say like English words with a sort of accent, and they become part of the language. Where I think like in France they still try and find like a new word or say it, you know, in a French way. But in, in over here they'll just be like, you know, if you're gonna have a Coke or something, they're just like un Coke. <laughs> For a long time in France, they would translate English movie title 
Yes. Uh, that's a gold mine of, of, of stupid ideas. Well, Die Hard is the best, man. Isn't Die Hard like fucking Crystal Palace or something? Like, it, it translates to be really weird. I can't remember what it is. Uh, I don't know that one, but you know the movie Office Space? Yeah. Yeah, it's called Trente-Cinq Heures, c'est déjà trop. It's so stupid. Uh, what does that translate to? 35 hours is too much. <laughs> like, because, because the French, but the French have a 35 hour work week. So for like anybody working in tech in the US, it would be like, what? What does that even mean? 35 hours? That's a That's dream. Monday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want to, uh, I want to move forward here because, you know, you, obviously you started doing all this chip tunes, but then you sort of incorporated some other people. Do you consider it now like a band? Because I, I want to listen to this track from Badlands mm-hmm. in 2011, and there's a, a person called Gem Toss Factor and and fucking Buzz. Like, there's all these people who are sort of involved in this thing. Yeah, that, that's a long story, but I got the time. Do you have time? Yeah, man. So let's listen to this song. So I don't know. Is this a Io Stesso? How do you say this? That's Italian. So shit, if I know how to pronounce that. All right, man. Well, we'll just say that's how it's said. Io <laughs> Stesso. Yeah. Yeah, we'll say. Yeah, this is a Io Stesso by Dub Mood.
And that was Dub Mood with the track Eo Stesso. And uh, I'm here with Dub Mood right now. So explain what's happening, because all of a sudden there's like a singer and other stuff going on. Yeah, I, I mentioned this dilemma that we had about playing ship tunes live and that it feels like fake if you come from other kind of music because you're literally like pressing play on a Game Boy and then shuffling some patterns around and you try to look busy. You want it to be interesting for the audience but you also want for it to feel real for your own like uh, self-conscious I guess so that was something I was battling with because when I moved to France I started touring and it got boring really fast because you're pressing play on a computer or a Game Boy and drinking beer on stage <laughs> it wasn't that fun it felt like a scam and I know I wasn't the only one battling with, with this so I was like okay fuck it uh, let's start a band because at the same time I was also touring with a bunch of other bands and, and different setups of people and genres and uh, like I was constantly on the road with, with some weird <laughs> local rock band or some, some local ragamuffin dude or a DJ for a hip hop band or whatever the ragamuffin yeah French ragamuffin it's a funny scene. Anyway, all these people I, I, I got to learn from, from touring. Like, I got some people together and like we tried to make it into a band. With its up and downs, it's more fun to play in a band than to play alone. It's more fun to tour together, uh, especially when you're a bit introvert, because touring alone with a Game Boy around Europe, you're really, really in the mercy of the, the organizers of each event. So you get lonely really, really fast. So uh, having a band was really a blessing. But at the same time, <laughs> I mean, the logistics of touring with a Game Boy, that's like a dream. Yeah. <laughs> you basically fit your backline in your pocket. Only like USB key house DJs uh, are, are having a more comfortable life, I guess. So yeah, bringing, starting bringing backline and instruments and uh, getting the members together and then people started moving around. So I, I had a situation where like we had a guitarist in Spain and the drummer in Poland and, and another guy in Sweden and trying to tour France every weekend. It kind of got complicated. That kind of took its toll in the way that I had been touring a lot in like more on, under more comfortable circumstances, like with tour buses and stuff with other bands. Uh, when you have like backliners, roadies, everybody taking care of it. Uh, and then you would go back to tour with a band where we had to carry drum set and two amplifiers on a train <laughs> from Paris to Bordeaux. You know, it, it got old fast yeah. <laughs> and complicated so we kind of put that on ice as well after four or five years well i, I want to talk a bit more about it but i think we should listen to another track this is going back to some classic uh, dub mood styles you actually made a song that was literally called chip tune which you put on an album lost floppies volume two we're gonna listen to that right now man nice
All right, and that was Chip Tune by Dub Mood. I'm here with Dub Mood right now. Kale! Somebody once told me that I named the track Chip Tune uh, just to screw with search results. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, now, now, eight years later, I'm going to see if it's true. What, what happens if you Google Chip Tune? Does my track come up? Let's find out. We're going to go Google. We're going to type in Chip Tune. Fuck. <laughs> I just typed in Ship Tune. <laughs> Shit tune. No, oh, it's my my track my track is not even on the first twenty. No, we've got uh best of chip tune eight bit music with retro visuals. Hey, you'll love that. Eight bit slash chip tune song. And a video called How to Eight Bit Music. Yeah, my track is not even on the first ten pages, so yeah, that was a fail. Yeah. Should have named it something else. <laughs> something <laughs> that's easy easy Googleable. 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 Google, yeah, yeah, Googleable. So, going back to the band, though, like, how did you, how do you know all these people? Because, like, um, this, who is Gem Toss or whatever? Because she is an android. <laughs> like, really, uh, like, yeah, as as pure as they come. So, where, uh, how do you, how do you come across uh, an android? She's also from the from the geek community, but not from the same kind of cracking scene. More like a ha- hacking. Hacking background, great guitarist, great singer, really into Belgian techno synth. She, so she brought those aspects to the band, and uh, I'm still making a lot of music with her. Like she might have depassed Sabaton as my most frequent collaborator, music wise. That took 12 years. Shout out to Niklas. What do you? So what do you do for fun then? <laughs> what I do for fun, apart from working with music, what I do with all my other free time, uh, I wouldn't call it fun because it's cycling. And cycling isn't fun, it's like suffering. But yeah, I spend all my time not music related because I run the label that uh, of course takes a lot of time, more time than the music. But in every second I get, I, I get on my bike. Wait, you run the label? Yeah, I, I found it with a, with a bunch of friends and uh, one after another they kind of dropped out. So now it's only me and uh, they still have input to give on stuff, but uh, I'm, I'm doing like uh, 80% of the work. I would say it's it's Data Airlines, right? Yeah. Oh, see, I didn't know that you were fucking running it, man, because you've put out a lot of uh, cool albums of uh, uh, a lot of people I've had on the show, man, like fucking uh, Ogre and Makeup and Vanity set, Master Boot Record. That dude's awesome. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's funny. Vittorio, Dallas Campbell. Ah, yeah. I'm just going through here. Fucking Wojciech Golchevsky or whatever. That dude's made a lot of cool shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know that he's from Racer as well? No. I know eventually one of these days I want to talk to uh, Wojciech or whatever because uh, he's he's. I played a lot of his stuff on the show. Like, it's really cool. I, I think I think it's Wojciech, but yeah, it's, I'm I, not Polish. I, I tried to. He sent me a, a pronunciation thing once there was a, <laughs> and a robot was saying it. Uh, one time they sent me a robot that actually said it wrong. Huh. Polish is really hard, like when they have like said and then followed by a double C and then an, an H, like how, how you pronounce that. Yeah, he's from the he's from the same origins as myself. We met in Racer 1911, must have been like 2001. He, he released a really cool music disc for Racer. It's like a beautiful piece of art. Uh, ask him about it. I'll forget, but uh, I'm... <laughs> but- well, one of these days, he, he was a dude I was intending to have on, so I should I should probably fucking make that note. 
Okay, well, that's interesting because I didn't know you were running a data airlines, man. Because that's a that comes up a lot, obviously. Because uh, I mean, all the people I just mentioned have been on the show, and Ogre, that dude's amazing. Like he does the theme song. One of his early sort of uh, synthwave albums is like one of the coolest ones. I want to uh, I want to listen to another song though, man. Yeah, let's do. We're gonna go to the album Machine from 2014. This was a track called Me Android, ah. and you can tell me what she's singing about because it's not in English. <laughs> okay.
All right, and that was Me Android uh, by Dub Mood, and I'm here with Dub Mood right now. Kale! Hello. And the lady in this song was singing in French. So what is this song about? That whole album is our most sentimentally, emotionally invested thing we have ever done we spent so 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 much time on those tracks compared to anything else we did and the whole subject of almost all the tracks are like the relation human machine kind of relation what happens when the machine breaks down and you have to go on without it like when your favorite computer disappears can you nurture it back to health and how these machines would ideally function with you and how they should interact with society so me and is a take on that how a machine would be the perfect partner in in both a relationship and any kind of partner and how that could form something malicious it's pretty vague i know you come with the concept first and you're sort of like trying to drive it forward from the concept or did you already have some songs you had written that you felt like oh these suit the mood of this album on machine it was mostly gemtas that uh, came with a bunch of poems that she had written that she turned into lyrics for a couple of tracks that i made uh, this was between badlands badlands and overlander the two eps we put out before machine machine is kind of like the completion of, of what we were working on over those years so uh, she is the origin of the theme i would say i maybe had some input but she made most of that and i just put music to her words is it said gem toss that's what you just said i don't know because i say gem because it's the word gem but i don't know if it's like well now we're gonna go into a very very serious subject now do you say gif or gif well before i answer that question (laughs) be careful because gem is a word exactly but in this case it's an acronym oh it is yeah Oh, so it is gem then. I should be saying gem toss. Well, it depends if you say gif or jif. I I say gif. Correct. Only only people who who sh- should be banned from the internet and and sent to I don't know hell. Yeah, sent to hell. Pronounce it gif. <laughs> it's it's gif because it's graphical interface. Oh yeah, so I guess that makes sense. Yeah, and and the gem in gem toss is graphical environment manager. Tremial operating system. Oh, so the whole thing is an acronym. Yeah. Well, see, I'm learning today. Yeah, it's it's the operating system of the Atari. Although the weird thing is, even though I say GIF, I do say the word graphical. <laughs> what? <laughs> Geographical? Gir- Geographical. I'm, I'm trying to come up with a bad joke. <laughs> I want to. Uh, I want to move over here to fucking uh, force to frap. Oh, that was a quick jump. Machine is my favorite album. Is it? Could talk about it. Yeah. Oh well, well, we can talk more. Best, best, best thing I ever ever made. Uh, if you ask me, I probably should have then. Eh? <laughs> 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 I'm a great interviewer. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, we can talk more, man. It's all good. We got time. No, I mean, I'm just kidding. Let's let's move on to Force to Frap. Let, let's shut up and play the hits. <laughs> it's uh, Well, what's tricky is... Um, I made so much music. When I talk to someone who has such a body of work, it's like there are some artists who I interview who have like one album, but it's I, I really enjoy the whole album and it's easy to pick, you know, like five or six songs to talk about. And then when someone has been doing it for so long, I basically sort of, I go through and I kind of pick a song from an album here and there and kind of move forward and try and I 
I mean, I always try and play ones I like. I mean, that's part of the deal. Like, and that, and that's kind of sad for me because I would love to like break down an album into tracks and, and talk about it detail. And, and nobody never ever did that with me because of my large body of work. Well, st- well, I tell you what, man. If we ever have you back on, yeah, and I do another fucking chip. To, or it's weird to talk about that when we're not even finished this one. We could disinsect uh, one of my albums. Uh, what I like to do is when I have like a chip tune artist on, and then I'll play chip tunes for the whole show. And the stuff you do when you do it in sort of band form with uh, with Gemtos and the other ones, it's still chip tune, but it is sort of different, right? It is more. It's a different thing. Yeah, I guess it's because I always wanted to prove a point that. Um ship tune isn't really a genre it's a scene of course it's a scene that that i can't deny but it's not a genre it's a sound it's an instrument like any other instrument so you could make any genre with ship tune and it would be like you make hip-hop and it's ship hop. and i tried to prove this point with like every album trying to make hop from genre to genre and keep my sound. No, I know what you mean. I mean, literally, that's the same thing that I've been going through with the, the synthwave scene. Because, you know, when you break things down into subgenres, especially electronic music, it goes on forever. And some of those genres are so specific. You know, you'll be like, oh, this is, uh, you know, Tropical Ganja House. And you're like, <laughs> you're like, what the fuck is that? And like, well, it goes like this. Marijuana. And like, that's all the songs. And I love that. I had, a, had a, I had my like worst genre Nazi period for a time at university when I like would write. I wrote a paper for when you finish uh, two years of studies. In Swedish, you would call that a B-Obsets. It's like the the one before uh, you get a bachelor. And I wrote it on the difference between house and techno. Was it a, was it a good paper? For 40 pages on the difference between house and techno. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. Too bad it's Swedish in Swedish. <laughs> so nobody will ever read it because it's in Swedish. Well, I'll get you to summarize it for me. You can give me the... Um, what's the thing that goes to the top of a scientific paper where they summarize it? The, the abstract. Exactly. Uh, so you can give me the abstract on this fucking house versus techno. But uh, we're going to listen to a track from Force to Frap. Nice. I just like saying Force to Frap. This one's called Main Theme. And then in brackets, Richard by Dub Mood.
And that was Dub Moob with the track Main Theme in brackets, Richard. And I am here with Dub Moob. See, I fucked it. I did it. I just did it. <laughs> Dub Noob. <laughs> Dub, Dub Mood. Uh, Calais, uh, who is in France right now. So I, I dug this one. Is this your take on the police station scene from Terminator? I love that. Everybody says that. And I actually had no intention of that at all. Really? Yeah. And this is, I, I shit you not, uh, hand on my heart, uh, no. What that is, is I guess a similar synth patch. It's the Oberheim 2 voice, like the lead patch on the Oberheim 2 voice. And it's an arpeggiator set to random, which switch between two chords. I have an ear for that because that's like my favorite piece of music from that movie besides the theme song. I've watched that scene so many times, like in Terminator with the fucking... And so when I heard this one, I thought it was an homage. Yeah, and and it, it, it kind of fits. I could say it's an homage and, and nobody would, would question it. I think the creator of that song and I just did the exact same thing. If you dissect it, about 85, 80 to 85% of the notes are the same. But it makes sense. I mean, if you ever had an arpeggiator with a random setting and you put, you know, how it choose 16 notes on random and then they keep playing that first random pattern it came up with, it's kind of like the track by the knife, a silent shout. It's the same thing. But in that case, when I use the same arpeggiator, put it on random, play the chord, it sounded like Silent Shout of the Knife, and then I decided to make a cover. And in this case, I didn't I didn't recognize the police theme. I'm not, I hadn't watched Terminator enough, but I prefer the Terminator version, though, if you could call it that. Yeah, that's a funny one, too, because that song, the actual song in Terminator, is sort of hard to find, because I think... They did make an album of the the soundtrack to Terminator, but it was not the same as the one in the film. It was sort of like recreated. And so there was like subtle differences with like, oh, the, the percussion's a little louder on the, the album version. I preferred the version where the synth is like the most powerful thing instead of like a background thing to the drums. I hate it when they remake soundtracks. You know the movie The Stalker, that old Russian movie? That soundtrack was so great. In the original version and then they came out with like a redux and they remade the soundtrack to some sleazy 90s digital stereo mayhem they were playing the same melodies but they were just doing it on like different equipment yeah like they reprogrammed the whole thing uh on like some digital workstation uh, from the early 90s with the approach of somebody who just discovered all these millions of uh, effects that you can find on such a workstation and uh, like uses them all at the same time. With me, when I talk about Synthwave, it's because I love the resurgence of the 80s synth sounds because a lot of them, like they always had these nice fat bass lines. Like the sound just felt really full and the chords, you know, when I think of like the Beverly Hills Cop theme and stuff where it's like these, these big fat chords that sound really nice. And then in the 90s, some of the electronic music had more of like a tinny sort of trebly sound yeah exactly like the first the first generation of bad digital gear I'm trying to think what it reminds me of it's like you know when you would see a keyboard in the store and you would press the demo button uh-huh and it would play just a terrible song <laughs> using all the instruments and it would sound like you were listening to some weird like digital polka music or something well you know timbaland have you ever heard about that legal battle you fought 
No. Because he discovered that on these Casio keyboards, uh, when you play the demo song, it also plays the notes on the MIDI out. So he just took all the MIDI out notes from a demo song on a Casio keyboard and made a track with it. <laughs> That's amazing. True story. His case was that it, since he bought the synth, it's his music on it. I don't know if it got settled or not. I don't remember. I, I know I've heard, I know because you were, you were just mentioning Stalker, right? Yeah. Was the film. Because I don't think I've ever actually seen the film, but I know I've heard clips of the score. Uh, it's amazing. But man, you should watch the movie. Preferably on drugs. <laughs> I'm all straight edge now. Good for you. Me too, since I started cycling. So I can't watch that movie anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the thing is, you, you probably feel really good. Yeah, but cycling is not that kind of exercise. Cycling is getting out and suffer for six hours. I mean, if you do a quick workout, you feel great. That, that releases all the endorphins and all the adrenaline. And, 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 you know, it makes you feel great. Suffering for six hours on a bike, it doesn't make you feel great. It just makes you feel miserable. But what it does is that it really cleans out the brain because you're basically a robot. You know, you're just stomping on pedals as hard as you can for six hours. You go into like a, a state of trance and you get really productive in the mind, like planning stuff and taking decisions and getting ideas and f getting creative and figuring stuff out. That, that's what cycling is, is to me. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I feel great. Because I can be an anxious guy. I found that um, physical activity really helps for that. Like if you, especially that's, if you're like a, true. a cerebral person who, if you're always in your own head and always thinking all the time and stuff, there, there is a point where you do need to shut it off and, and working out can do that. Exactly. Like when you do hard exercise, you can't think about complicated stuff. And like, if you're an anxious person, your brain is, is really active because anxiety can be quite complex so when you <laughs> when you suffer on a bike all your blood will go into your legs right so you can't even do fucking eight times eight <laughs> i can't do that anyways <laughs> so you're you're like down to the basic brain functions it has its up and downs but i like it you should try cycling man i'm in the city and like whenever i see cyclists i just look at them and go like how the fuck are you doing this like there's so much traffic there's so many opportunities to get hit by a car plus my i would look ridiculous like wearing a fucking bodysuit because i'm like skinny but i have like a belly that belly will go away in, in weeks man that's that's the best thing with cycling is you can eat however much you want i consume like three thousand four thousand calories a day and i'm skinny i'm like 55 kilos uh, like eight percent body fat i look like a like a, a skeleton <laughs> yeah but like you would never ever need to worry about second or third dessert ever again yeah i guess that's a good point i want to listen to the track called mirage four yeah this <laughs> it. It's gotten to the point now. I'm just just blurting out songs. I'm, I'm done with the format of the show. But yeah, this is a cool track. This is a Mirage Four by Dub Mood.
And that was Mirage 4 by Dub Mood. Mirage 4. Oh, is, is this whole thing in French? Yeah, kind of. It's. Uh, have you read the story about that album? Uh, it, it has to do with uh, robots, right? Kind of. Uh, it's like an alternative universe, <clears throat> like everybody does. From the 80s, we're a Swedish uh, company called DataSab. DataSab. You know Sab, the, the car company? They had a branch in the 80s called DataSab making computers love their logo they got busted when they were selling american computer ships to the soviets in some weird missile scheme anyway in this alternative universe they invent ai like real ai which kind of knocks off the balance in the cold war so uh, they get in the ai provokes a nuclear war with france <laughs> so mirage catch is the french long distance nuclear bombers i like <laughs> I like the idea of like the, the term missile scheme. <laughs> yeah, but you should check <laughs> it, it out. Cool. It's, it's it's on Google. It's a fun history. There was a guy on uh, working at an engineer working at DataSab that makes some made some really early digital music as well with these like these computers, big big ass computers made to uh, calculate missile tra- 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 trajectory. Yeah, trajectory. Uh-huh. Trajectory. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but, and he made music with it. So funny. Uh, I would love to put out an album with that guy. Uh, he's a bit hard to come by, though. There is something that made me laugh in the description of the album you did called "Bad Television." Yeah, which was a, a dub mood and and sabutum album where it's it was referred to as the Lennon and McCartney of chip tune. Yeah, uh, I don't remember who said that. I think I read that on a Bandcamp review, and it stuck. Because it is awesome, eh? Because you guys have done so many things. And I know when I talk about how you two were the names that I associated with, with Chiptune. And so I always did see those like dub mood featuring Sabutum tracks or vice versa. And I never understood what any of it meant. But it is funny to see it as sort of like <laughs> the Lennon and McCartney of Chiptune. <laughs> who, who would be the Yoko Ono? That's a good question. Well, there's got to be some weird Asian lady that breaks you guys up, right? Let's hope that never happens. There's a lot of weird like nefarious. Asian ladies in the chiptune scene <laughs> ready to start shit and make weird music one <laughs> that I know of I will, I will refuse to comment any further on this <laughs> oh man now I gotta do some fucking uh, chiptune scene investigation oh you will be ankles deep in drama it will be lovely not even ankles <laughs> Yeah, man. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write all this down. I'm going to be like one of them old-fashioned detectives with the fucking beige coat and the hat. And I don't even know who the hell I would question. Oh, there are many witnesses. <laughs> witnesses. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, look, man. We can probably wind this down. We've been talking for a long time. I don't usually play this many songs. Oh, nice. Again, like I said, talking to someone who's made music for so long... It's hard to just go like, I'm just going to play four songs. And so this will end up being sort of like a, a long thing. There was actually a few more I wanted to play, but I'm just like, ah, I don't know if I can. This will end up being like a fucking 10-hour show. Well, why not? People have time. <laughs> but I have to edit the damn thing. Ah, uh, yeah, this, the, that's the <laughs> That's the part that takes the most time is the editing. Now you're going to have some work to do. Yeah, man. But I, I would love to come back like anytime you want. Yeah, dude. Well, it was, it was fun to chat with you. We could get really geek deep in some obscure subject. I like the idea of getting geek deep. (laughs) 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 Gotta write that down. That actually is a cool fucking expression. Gonna get fucking geek deep. (laughs) Well, look, is there there anything we didn't uh, talk about that you want to talk about? I know, I mean, I I skipped over a lot of albums. Uh, I know you've done a lot of sort of video game soundtracks and stuff. It's it's hard to fit all this into one conversation.
conversation. Let me come back and we'll talk about video game soundtracks. Because you did some cool ones. Yeah, and I, re- I did some stuff uh, a bit under the radar for Capcom recently. Oh, Yeah. What? It was some weird Android uh, smash game where like all different Capcom heroes fighting each other uh, on telephone. I made covers of all this old all these old Capcom tracks for them. Oh, cool. Isn't that a dream job? Like some, some guy from Capcom contacts you and asks you to make covers of all your favorite tracks from your childhood and get money for it. Well, that's amazing <laughs> considering how many people already just cover those things anyways. Like Exactly. Like you know, Capcom is some of the greats. Of internet, <laughs> I'd like to get that call where you're just like, hey, can you, um, we'll pay you money to do a cover of uh, Flash Man from Mega Man 2. And, and that's exactly what happened. <laughs> no, it, 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 was, it was Dr. Willy. Uh, Willy. Dr. Willy, but still. Which one is your favorite Mega Man? The two or the three? I guess two. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not, uh, I don't love Mega Man. I like the music a lot. I'm not big into really hard games. That's not my thing. Like, I get angry and then I go, why am I doing this? (laughs) Like, there's certain aspects of old games that I don't miss. I don't miss when you move to the right and then you move back all the enemies are there again i don't like that (laughs) i don't like when i'm in the middle of a jump and i get hit by a projectile and i just fly backwards so i miss the jump like there's so many things about mega man that like the hardness annoys me i get it like i get it's classic and i know why people love it to me it was just always the music like i'll listen to the mega man music like all over the place but even when i play those games on fucking emulators when i can have the power to rewind time I still get annoyed and I'm sitting there like reversing time and doing like save states every two seconds. Every time I make a jump, I do a save state and do another jump and save state again. And even then I get mad. But it's always it's always about the music, though. I mean, there are a lot of bad games with good music, but name a good game with bad music from that time. The music is key, definitely. I mean, like, there there are a ton of games that I would just turn on and then let it sit there on, like, the pause. Like, some games had great music on their pause screen or... Super R-type. Like, if you leave the pause screen on for, like, five minutes, it's switch to, like, a hidden part of the track, which is this amazing solo that sounds like the solo from Highway Star. Highway Star. No, it's not Led Zeppelin. Who's who's that? I will get scorched for not knowing this. Oh, I'll take the blame. I know there's there's a ton of shit I don't know. It's Deep Purple, of course. It's Deep Purple. Yeah, see, Deep Purple was one of those fucking bands because I like Depeche Mode. <laughs> I never really listened to Deep Purple, but whenever I would go to the record store, I would always see those albums because they were the ones that I had to flip through to get to the Depeche Mode. <laughs> That's a great story, of course. Uh, I have to flip for Deep Purple disc to get to the depression. But look, it was lovely to talk to you, man. Same, same. And I hope you have a lovely day and uh, keep on uh, having fun running record label. The sun is still out. I'll get on my bike. You know, I haven't ridden a bike in decades. I don't even know if I remember how it's been so long. That's like one of these things. Once you once you do it, it doesn't go away. It's like swimming or talking. And if you get a, sit on an, on an island in the ocean for 15 years without talking, you still remember how to do it. Yeah, but I bet you'd like mumble and say weird things. Yeah, I mean, you won't be the best bike handler in the in the city of Toronto, but you'll you'll still know how to pedal forward. Yeah, but that's probably what will get me smashed into by a car. They're not very forgiving. People don't like people who ride bikes very much. <laughs> that's like no. A- people in cars tend to hate people who ride bikes. I mean, but then again, I guess it's safer to ride a bicycle in France because. 
French motorists are so used to the scooters. The difference is it's the sort of the geography. Like in North America and in Canada, like the roads are really wide. The vehicles are bigger, but the roads are bigger. We, we actually have like bike lanes in the city now and stuff. I haven't been to France in a while, but I do remember like the roads are smaller, but the cars are also smaller. Like people are driving on those little fucking Citroëns and shit. Exactly, and you have all these scooters and Vespas going around like crazy everywhere. So all motorists are so aware, you know, like constantly looking in their mirrors. So they won't take a, like a right or left turn without having checked their mirrors, which they do. Like when you go back to Sweden, you get hit by a car instantly. Yeah. <laughs> It's instantly. <laughs> you get off the plane and a car just fucking flies at you. That happened in the in the roundabout next to the airport in Gothenburg. I did I did two hundred meters. Yeah, we don't really have those in Canada. I think there is a roundabout somewhere, but not in the same way that there is in Europe. Yeah, you should get them though. They are really good for it traffic environment safety issues. Toronto is just a big grid. It's like you can literally look from one side to the other side, like it's just this fucking straight line. But look, man. You have a lovely day, and uh, we'll we'll talk to you soon, and people should go check out uh, the music of Dub Mood. There's a, a whole lot of different stuff there for people to listen to and enjoy. Yeah, cheers, man. Thanks for um, having me on. Yeah, dude, no problem. I'm so- sorry about the bassy mic sound. Well, yeah, <laughs> man. I, just so the audience understands, you've been talking this whole time into a kick drum microphone. I think I joked about it earlier, but it's actually what is actually happening. This is the only microphone I found right now. <laughs> it, has, it, has a, it has a funny switch on it here it says uns- ensemble wow Ooh, nice <laughs> you should have talked like that the whole time oh man that would be fun dub mood is a robot exactly all right man well you have a lovely day you too cheers all right and that was my chat with dub mood um i don't know why we talked for so long usually i talk for half the time. For some reason, I, I guess I was just really interested that day in uh, hearing about uh, chiptune stuff. So I hope you enjoyed the show. Tune in next time and uh, we'll talk to you all well next time. That's... <laughs> I'm not good at winding things up or winding things down. Winding things down? Winding things up. Anyway, I'll talk to you next time on Beyond Synth, the best chiptune chat show there is. What? Thanks for If you enjoy the show, please consider supporting it by going to patreon.com slash beyondsynth or visit beyondsynth.com and click on support the show. Beyond Synth is made possible by the awesome Patreon supporters. Don't forget to follow Beyond Synth on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. Live broadcasts can be heard weekly on Twitch at twitch.tv slash beyond underscore synth. Have a lovely week.